1: hello and welcome back to when in romance where we get to talk about romance novels and the people who write them and the people who read them and all kinds of things related to romance landia. i am jess and i am trisha and we're recording on Thursday, June 22nd, 2023. The sun appears to finally be going down in Tucson. <laughs> um, I don't know if you're having, I mean, obviously yesterday was the longest day of the year, but. Yeah. It's, it's like, why is it still light out? <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's, uh, we're at the time of year, like, so we are actually getting more than 16 hours of daylight where I live, uh, about 16 hours and 20 minutes or so. We will swing, although don't be too jealous, because in six months we will be getting less than eight. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, so, you know, it's, uh, it's, it always makes for an interesting 4th of July, though. We won't be able to do fourth fireworks until, oh gosh, I don't know, 10.30, 11 p.m. Oh my gosh, yeah, yeah, well, it's an interesting time. I don't know. My day, my longest day of the year didn't feel any longer. How about you? I was reading. I was, I was finishing our book club book. Full Same. disclosure. But Same. uh yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. it's good to be in good company. Mm-hmm. Aside from book club, Jess, what are you reading these days?
1: I was listening to, uh what's her name? Nicole Falls has a monthly space on Twitter where they talk about Black romance. And somebody mentioned Chef's Kiss by Stephanie Shea, which is a sapphic romance set in San Francisco between a freshly graduated aspiring chef and a restaurateur. And I was like, give me that um so I yeah I am not very far into it because you know I have also been reading our book club book but I started that one and it's feeling very vibrant and I know not to read it hungry because it is a very interesting food style that they're doing in this restaurant but it looks very sweet And also very good. So, and this is my first book by Stephanie Shea. So I'm looking forward to hopefully finishing it. You know, I have trouble finishing books sometimes, even if they're good. (laughs) It's true.
0: And I will say it's not like the most important content warning by any stretch of the imagination. But I do sometimes wish that a book would tell me if they're going to describe delicious food. (laughs) Like, I need to know if I had a dollar for every dollar i spent on indian food when reading a sonali dev book (laughs) i would have a lot of dollars back a lot of them (laughs) i used to live across from an indian restaurant and it's almost i I would guess that the kitchen knew when i was reading a book by sonali dev because i legitimately was going in every two or three days to buy two or three days worth of indian food so anyway (laughs) That's great. Anyway, like I said, not the most important content warning. I'm just saying. It's it's helpful, though. I recently picked up The Third in a sort of trilogy, I think. I think it's a trio of books Mm -hmm. that I've mentioned before by Jane Porter. It's sort of the Flirting With series. The first one was Flirting With 50. The second one was Flirting With the Beast. The third that is not out yet, but I believe coming out soon, Mm -hmm. July 25th. Mm -hmm. So it's about, about a month is uh, Flirting with Fire, and it is, I think, actually so far my favorite book. It's a woman who is 49. She's never been married. She spent the majority of her adulthood on Broadway, doing theater and working as an actress and or maybe actor. I'm not sure what the term is, if you're working on Broadway. She was acting on Broadway. Uh, <laughs> and she had a long-term relationship that ended very badly. And so she moved back to California where she was from. And uh, so she, for the last, I don't know, a year or two years, she's been working with a woman who runs a local theater, but that woman is suddenly out of commission. And so Margot, who is the, one of the leads of the, the story, has to put on the play Barefoot in the Park. She has to direct. She, as it turns out, has to act. And Sally recruits a longtime old friend of hers to play the other lead. Funny story, Max, who is the other lead, is currently a big, gigantic TV star, Mm -hmm. starring on what I can only imagine is basically like the Yellowstone of this world. It's not called Yellowstone, (laughs) but it's like a Western that is like the most popular show in America. Mm. So Max is this huge deal, also in his 40s. And one of the things that I've always really liked about this series is that it does feature main characters who are not in their 20s. They're all in their 40s, 50s, or 60s. And it is so far really lovely. I feel like it is a friends to lovers story, like in that there is not friction or tension, at least so far, I'm only about a quarter of the way through maybe, between these two people. Mm-hmm. Like they seem to really enjoy each other. There doesn't seem to be like a Well, she's put out because she has to do this. And he's frustrated because he owes a favor to this woman who runs. It's like they're both there. They both care about this woman who is dealing with a medical emergency. And they are both working together to try to make this work. They have chemistry. They seem to enjoy each other's company. Again, we'll see what happens. But I always do enjoy a book where they don't really have to, like, manufacture the stakes or the circumstances. Mm -hmm. And so... Again, so far I'm really liking this one. Again, it's not up for another month, but that is Flirting with Fire by Jane Porter.
1: Awesome. I've been meaning to read all of those. I just haven't gotten around to it yet.
0: I mean you've got time. Yeah. Yeah. You have time. You have time and TBRs to keep you to keep you on track. <laughs> All right, let me do it. one quick mention of Book Riot's deep dive between, before we take a break. As we have talked about before, if you are looking for fascinating stories, informed takes, useful advice, and more drawn from the collective experience of Book Riot as power readers, teachers, librarians, booksellers, and bookish professionals, you can subscribe to the Deep Dive. It's a bi-weekly newsletter to inform and inspire readers delivered straight to your inbox. Your first read, which is The Power Reader's Guide to Reading Logs and Trackers, is on the house. That means free. Free dollars. Zero (laughs) dollars. You can take a look, see how you feel about it, check out all the details, and choose your membership level once you know where you stand at bookriot.substack.com. I mean, if you are interested, you should know... This is like a wild variety of topics. Mm -hmm. Mexican history of you, like water for chocolate, scratch and sniff publishing, many arguments and options for tracking your reading. If that is a thing that you've been thinking about doing, maybe this is a step you can take. Again, take a look at it. Um, You can get your first issue, episode, read, edition, Mm -hmm. uh, for free, and you can decide where you want to go from there at bookriot.substack.com. And I think... Jess we haven't mentioned it yet but it's a book club week it is before we get into book club we'll build a little more suspense and maybe take a quick break
2: today's episode is brought to you by Song of the Silks Realms by Judy I. Lynn Shuei is a talented young musician who was orphaned at a young age. Her sole family is a kindly uncle, but then her uncle is killed and she is, of course, devastated. With no family and no patron, Shuei is facing the possibility of a lifetime of servitude playing the chin. Then one night, she is unexpectedly called to perform for the enigmatic Duke Meng. He surprises Shuei further with an irresistible offer. Serve as a musician in residence at his manor for one year and he'll set her free of her indenture. But the Duke's motives become increasingly more sus when he and Shui barely survive an attack by a nightmarish monster. It's like, what what's going on here? So this book is a sweeping epic romanticy that follows a talented young musician who is swept away to the celestial realm by an enigmatic young Duke and Who doesn't want to be swept away to the celestial realm by an enigmatic young duke? She's living all our dreams, honestly. Make sure to check out the new book. And thanks again to Song of the Six Realms by Judy I. for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. Then you have Claire Biggs, who is the epitome of sunshine. She's always loved Gibsey, her brother's friend and her favorite neighbor. She also has always seen a side to him that no one else seems to notice. And she becomes determined to tame her wild at heart childhood best friend.
0: All right, Jess, it's book club week. We're here. We're here. It is. I was thinking about it because technically yesterday was the first day of summer. Mm -hmm. So I was like, was this our spring book club book or our summer book club book? And then I realized it didn't matter (laughs) and that I was spending way too much mental energy trying to figure it out. (laughs) So anyway. It is our June book club book. (laughs) Exactly. It's our Q2, quarter two book club book. Mm Mm-hmm. Do you want to talk a little bit about the book that we all read together? All right.
1: We read Rules of Engagement by Stacey Abrams, writing as Selena Montgomery. If you are unfamiliar with Stacey Abrams' romance and romantic suspense career, she started writing romantic suspense in the early 2000s as a way to take a break from the grueling nature of her work. Um, and so she wrote uh, several books as Selena Montgomery, and they have been in print f- since then. Um, I think a few might have gone out of print and come back once she sort of reminded people that she was selena montgomery and stacey abrams all at once so rules of engagement i think is the first one that uh she published in 2001 and it was re-released by berkeley uh in hardcover and audiobook in 2022 and here we meet rally and adam And this is a romantic suspense book. So I had to remind myself that it was going to go somewhere. Things were going to happen. Um, Mm -hmm. Many things. (laughs) Many things. Raleigh and Adam are two people who met working in an international organization anti-crime anti-terrorism etc cetera, etc cetera. it's like the international cia i don't know what to call it. it's interpol
0: yeah <laughs> oh yeah mm-hmm. i was like it's that one from oceans 12 <laughs> i don't know <laughs> timely reference i know <laughs> well i mean i was like when was
1: when was casino royale written and it was like wait not oh. not like old casino royale like 2006 Casino Royale. Mm-hmm. And it's like, wait, this was before that. Because hmm. there is a, a nice yeah. gambling scene, which is, yes, is really well done. Is. But so these two people knew each other before. They were ripped apart by circumstances. And Adam actually thought that Rally, who goes by the call sign, code name, Chimera was dead, but she comes back and pulls him back into the organization after he's been in the private sector, and they have to go to this very fascinating island that's supposed to exist somewhere between, like, somewhere north of Egypt, west of Palestine, and south of Italy. I don't, like, I don't know exactly where it is, but it's supposed to be sort of at the at the edge of all of the worlds that mm-hmm. was established as sort of like a refuge primarily for like sub-saharan black people um, and uh, it's like a private kingdom of some type now but they have to go there to stop a terrorist and they have to pretend to be lovers to do this and they Adam really, really doesn't like Chimera when they are put back together and they have to figure all of that out and also stop the terrorist and do some other things. So, yeah,
0: that's the book. Yeah. (laughs) What did I miss? I feel like that was an excellent description. Like, that was the exact right amount of detail to give people like what they need to know to follow the book. Mm -hmm. But without giving so much of the detail, because there is a lot of detail in this book Mm -hmm. about like, also, I made notes while you were talking about how one pronounces chimera, because it is definitely one of those words that I've always read and never heard out loud. And I was definitely pronouncing it in my head chimera. (laughs) So now I know. That was a helpful lesson for me. Um, but like his code name is Merlin and somebody else's code name is Sphinx. And like they have all these code names. And it's like this person might have double crossed these people. And that person might. There's an atlas is somebody's name. Like there's just mm-hmm. a lot of things to follow. Mm-hmm. But overall, like I, I think I read more romantic suspense than you do. It still is not. It's not that I read a ton of it. I just think I read more than you do, maybe. Mm-hmm. And I really liked this book. I thought it was compelling. I thought there were some really interesting things done in it. And it was interesting to hear you explain kind of geographically exactly where this book takes place. Because one of the things that I looked up as I was reading it was whether or not I knew it was published in 2001. Mm
1: -hmm. I wanted
0: to know whether it was published pre-9-11. And it was. It was published in May of 2001, Mm -hmm. which is interesting because there is a lot of, like, terrorism is bad, Mm -hmm. and which obviously terrorism is bad. Like, that's not... (laughs) That was true before 9-11 is true since all of that is true. But it was interesting to see... Almost like a foreshadowing of what we then saw over the course of the next several years in certainly like thrillers and, you know, Tom Clancy books and all of that stuff where the Middle East was the place where people were doing crimes, Mm -hmm. right, and doing terrorism. Mm -hmm. And as you mentioned, this place is sort of like more Mediterranean a little bit than I think a lot of what we think of as... Middle East, but mm-hmm. yeah, it was it was an interesting setting. You could tell that she is a woman who knows her international politics in a way. Yeah. Right. Like it wasn't it wasn't lazy in any way. It didn't feel lazy in any way, mm-hmm. even though it was kind of like the folks over there are causing these problems. Also, there were some people from Interpol or whatever we call it <laughs> that were maybe also under some suspicion. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't all uh, the people in the made up country. So anyway, that's a very long way of saying I liked it. I did think that that aspect of it was well done. I think it could have been sort of an afterthought. And probably she would have been able to get away with it, especially in a sort of pre 911 world. But I thought that was really good. I don't know about you, Jess. I'm interested in what you thought generally. But I'm also interested in what you thought about how it held up. I thought By and large, and I will say, I don't know how much, if at all, they changed this book when they republished it Mm -hmm. last year. My sense is maybe not a ton. But I felt like this is with with a couple of sort of mini exceptions, this was a book that could have been published, like for the first time in 2022.
1: Yeah, yeah. I will start with I did enjoy it. I know Trisha knows that I mentioned early on that I forgot that Romantic Spence has so much setup and that we don't just, like, get into things. Um, So I was like, ah. But one thing I did was switch formats. I had been reading it in print. You know, my eye reading still isn't the best. So I Mm -hmm. switched to the audiobook, Mm -hmm. which is narrated by the amazing January Lavoie. And she... Oh, that's interesting. She got it. Got it going and things started happening. And she really brought out everything that was going on. And she's like really, a really great voice actress. And I would say that with a few exceptions, like you said, most of them dealing with technology, I think it really is like sort of a timeless book. It could be it could take place now. And obviously, there are things that wouldn't be surprising having taken place 20 years ago. You know, like we think, like, why are they calling instead of texting? Why is, why is this happening? How mm-hmm. did they avoid the cameras? All of this stuff that obviously wouldn't have been, a, wouldn't have been thought about in 20, 2001 because the technology wasn't there yet but it wasn't like reading the born identity which is like oh wow this mm-hmm. was definitely written in the 80s um it's very like there's something about mm-hmm. it where you're not even thinking about the technology that's missing because everything is just so you're you're in this world and it does feel very james bond
0: yeah and i think some of that some of the fact that the technology didn't feel outdated Might have been, and I could very much be wrong about this, but it might have been that because at least two, a couple, there were at least a couple of major characters in this book that were like technology wizards, Mm -hmm. like at the cutting edge of technology, running like big time technology, a big time technology company or whatever. And so it might have been that if you were reading this in 2001, you might have read some of it and been like, Oh, that's not a real thing. That doesn't exist. And whereas now we're like, oh, that's a thing that's existed for like ten years, but it it still exists now. It's not that weird, right? Mm -hmm. You know, like I think that might have been some of it. And in terms of your sort of comment and observation, just that it was a book that was there was a lot going on. (laughs) I will say, kind of one of like the very minor criticisms I would have of it is that. There were many characters that were kind of introduced in the first two to four chapters Mm -hmm. that then we basically never heard from or saw again. Yeah. Which seemed a little weird. I don't know. I thought that was a little strange. I also thought it was interesting. How did you feel about the narrative structure, kind of the point of view? Because it was all third person, but it felt like it bounced around. To me, it felt like it bounced around and didn't just bounce around between the two main characters, right? Like, that happens pretty regularly. But I would feel like I was halfway through a scene and then all of a sudden be getting a perspective from, you know, Atis or, yeah. like, a a character who is a third party in a scene. Did that bother you? Did that work for you? Um,
1: somewhere in the middle. Like, I I have gotten very used to our, like, this is, that is the thing that probably dates it most for me. I have gotten very used to the Mm -hmm. 2023 era of deep POV from one person's point of view or dual point of view, alternating scenes or chapters, whereas, you know, older romances stuck to this sort of head jumping concept from an omniscient narrator who knew everything that was happening and everybody's thoughts, right? (laughs) So, but... Yeah, I think even in Beverly Jenkins books, like if you read her older books, there is head jumping back and forth between the two main characters, but you don't always just like randomly jump into a third character's point of view. So that that was kind of jarring. And I was like, wait, whose perspective is this from? Uh, Right. For a second, it's like, Mm -hmm. oh, oh, it's it's Alice. But for a while, you're like, Mm -hmm. he is... Adam and she is chimera and those are the only two thoughts people whose thoughts you're going to hear but no there are other people Mm -hmm. who actually think in this book
0: (laughs) yeah and I think I I think it generally worked for me I think because I am more used to we're going to talk about older romances a little bit later on but I think because I came to romance more in like the last 10 or 15 years I am more used to that, you know it's either one point of view or it's two points of view, and i' have I think I've talked before about how I feel like it's really interesting when someone adds a third point of view. Um, there have been books where there's a third point of view that I think adds a lot of depth and dimension to a a book, even if that third person is not a part of the romantic relationship. Mm-hmm. I think the two things that made this a little bit tricky for me is that it there's at least there's usually like a page break or like something Mm -hmm. that kind of transitions you from one to another in this book. That was not necessarily the case, right? You'd be reading one paragraph from Adam's point of view. And then the next one was from like Atlas's point of view. And without spoiling anything, I would say the other thing about it that I think that I would maybe have done differently or, or thought differently about is that there is a character late in the book where it is a third party And you get that person's perspective, which tells you their motivation, Mm. right? Like, where you think their motivation has been sort of dubious Mm -hmm. for a lot of the book. And once you start introducing that person's thoughts on, like, the relationship between Raleigh and Adam, you know, like, oh, okay, this person's actually not an evil genius. (laughs) Like, they wouldn't care so much about this relationship if they were secretly the villain, right? Whereas... If you didn't have that view into their brain, I would have kept thinking, I don't know about this person. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what they're doing. I'm mm-hmm. not sure what their plan is. So yeah, I don't know. I liked it a lot. Would you would you read another Selena Montgomery book? I might.
1: I like one thing that, you know, I get picky about is tropes. And this one drew me in mm-hmm. with the fake relationship trope which didn't particularly play a huge role, although that's a lie. It totally did. Um, So if I picked up another one, because we've got several more to choose from of her books, it would have to be, it would have to align very closely with what I like to read about, as opposed to just being another romantic suspense, because I need more than that to draw me in.
0: I think that's fair, and I'm actually really glad that you mentioned the fake relationship part of this because these two people are posed as lovers, right? They're pretending to be lovers. And I felt like this was a really interesting and unique take on the fake relationship because they know full well that someone has the room where they're staying Bugged. So, this is not a situation where they can be in a fake relationship and then go into like their hotel room or wherever and, you know, sort of like let things go. Like, they actually have to keep the act up to a significant degree, even when they are in quote unquote private quarters, Mm -hmm. which I thought was a really different kind of way of approaching this. I was thinking of the fake relationship books that I've read recently. And all of them have a period of time where the two people are able to kind of check back in about like what's actually happening, what the reality is. Mm-hmm. And, and these two characters had that to some extent as well. But I thought that was a, an interesting take. I thought it was kind of a different way of looking at it.
1: Yeah. And that the way that they were able to sort of utilize that was another thing that made me think about sort of technology that I would expect to exist, but wouldn't have in 2001, when it was written, like when the, at one point, they have to go on a treasure hunt, right? Um, And they're out yeah. in, the, in the forest. And they are just talking about everything related to their past and they're using their own names and they're um, talking about the mission and all of that. And I would expect someone to be listening at all times, but (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) I I imagine. Exactly.
0: I thought the same thing. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, they put you on this treasure hunt. They know where you're going to be. They might be listening to you. Like, Come on, y'all. Be careful. Yeah. Spoiler alert, it worked out. It it worked out. Everything went fine. Yeah. Well, and I would be interested, yeah, Jess, I don't know. I know you don't read a, a ton of romantic suspense. I read a little more, but also not a ton. I would be interested in your perspective, but also anyone who reads more romantic suspense, whether there was almost like a little too much going on. Like, I feel like there are some pieces of this that I still having just read this book over the course of the last few days don't quite get like you mentioned the treasure hunt they end up pursuing two of the clues and then they realize they're not supposed to go after the third clue because of some reasons I'm not really sure what they were Mm -hmm. but like that's the kind of thing where I'm like if you read more romantic suspense did you get that like did you understand that part of it or like when the whole situation of what has been going on is getting unraveled and figured out in the last honestly like two chapters mm-hmm. of this book it does end very very abruptly. very abruptly i felt like it was yeah there's if you're a person who loves an epilogue this book is not for you <laughs> it literally like the hea happens on like the second half of the last page <laughs> of this book but um but so, like, that's, I would be interested, I don't know, like I said, I'm interested in your thoughts, but I'm just also interested generally in folks who are more grounded in romantic suspense. Was there too much going on? Or is that just normal and people who read more of this kind of book are into it and, like, having all of those little sort of, like, Easter eggs and pieces in it?
1: I like details when it comes to things like this, but I think there was a little, there was a lot going on. and. It wasn't that long of a book, like even listening to the audiobook. So maybe it just mm-hmm. felt like things were going at a breakneck pace. And because of that, we didn't get as much time where the two of them could be doing anything besides fighting or, <laughs> or the other, the mm-hmm. opposite of that. Yes. And, yes. And, you know, like my, my connection to anything like spy related is in film, so it's James Bond, it's mm-hmm. Jack Ryan, and those are two very different types of spy related things, right? So, yeah. So it's cool to have all of the little things, while also being in somebody's head, which you can't really do if you're watching a movie. Yeah, but there were there was something about it that just felt like. Could one or two things have been taken out to ease the flow of the story? Maybe. But I don't know what those mm-hmm. things could have been. Like, I can't pinpoint something and say, you know what, this was extraneous.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Although I would have loved a good five or six more pages at the end.
0: <laughs> yeah. I felt like both the kind of mystery, suspense, drama-y part of it, I th- I felt like that wrapped up. Quite quickly, And then also, like, when I say the romantic H.E.A. came in the second half of the last page, like, that's not an exaggeration. I literally think it was the second half. It was literally the last two lines. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I would be interested because I like you said, Jess, I think this was the first romance that uh, Stacey Abrams wrote as Selena Montgomery. And I think that she wrote it all. So it would be interesting to see if she approaches that differently. I think that would be one of the main reasons why I would be interested in reading something that she had written more recently
1: mm.
0: or even just after this, right? Like, even two or three years after this is that I think we've talked on the show before that oftentimes you can tell when a book, once you've read an author's works over time, mm-hmm. you can tell that their early books are not their strongest books. Yeah. But I really liked this book and so I would be interested to see kind of where she went from here. Mm-hmm. Totally. Well, I think we are still very interested in hearing what all of you thought of Rules of Engagement. If you've read anything else by Celia Montgomery slash Stacey Abrams, any fiction. I mean, obviously, we're interested in her nonfiction also, but this is not that podcast. So uh, <laughs> if you have those thoughts, certainly let us know. I have a couple more thoughts on this book, but I'm going to hold them until our next segment because we're going to talk a little bit about romances that have been written 15, 20, 20 plus years ago. So I think unless there's anything else that you have to say about rules of engagement, Jess, we'll take a break and do that.
1: No, I'm glad I read it. We'll
0: see what happens in the future. Indeed. All right, we'll take a break and be right back. Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. Charming,
2: easygoing, and rich, Xavier Castillo has the world at his fingertips. He also has no interest in taking over his family's empire, but that hasn't stopped women from throwing themselves at him, unless, of course, the woman in question is his publicist. The cool, the intelligent, the ambitious Sloane Kensington, who is a high-powered publicist who's used to dealing with difficult clients, but none infuriate Miss Wong, got it going on, okay? Make sure to check out King of Sloth by Anna Wong. And thanks again to Bloom Books for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Scribner. Weird Black Girls by Elwynn Cotman is a collection of seven stories in which characters pursue their obsessions on paths to glory and destruction, while all around them their worlds twist and warp, oscillating between reality and impossibility. On display throughout is Cotman's ability to reveal truths about the human experience, about things like friendship, love, betrayal, bitterness— all through whimsy, horror, and fantasy. Elegiac in tone, imaginative, and humorous in their execution, the character driven stories in Weird Black Girls challenge, incite, and entertain. The author's last book was named one of NPR's best books of the year and was a finalist for the Philip K. Dick Award, with reviews appearing in the New York Times, Wired, BuzzFeed, and Locus, among other publications. Definitely make sure to check out Weird Black Girls by Elwyn Cotman. And thanks again to Scribner for sponsoring this episode.
0: All right. So, Jess, I think you might be recommended that... So we had planned on talking a little bit about older romances, regardless mm-hmm. of uh, some recent news, partly tied into this book and partly just because... It's an interesting conversation, I think, to have about how much romance has changed or hasn't in the last 20 or years or so. But then a very sad news event also kind of spurred some of that conversation. Do you want to talk about that at all? I mean, I know you don't want to. Obviously, it's a sad thing. But would you mind, Jess, discussing a little bit about what else might have inspired this segment?
1: Oh, uh, yes. So if you haven't yet heard, we found out that Julie Garwood, a renowned romance author, um had died and she she basically wrote romance for my entire life. Um so she had quite the prolific career and also wrote in several categories, historical romance, contemporary maybe a little bit of not quite romantic suspense but sort of like a julie james type type books um, oh yeah mm-hmm. and she was w- well loved by her readers and it is said that this is why she makes a good tie into the conversation about older romance but there are some big titles of hers from the 90s and early 2000s that could probably tie well into this conversation.
0: Yeah, and I will confess, Jess, I mentioned this a little bit to you before we started. I don't know that I've actually read anything by Julie Cartwood, because I think, so as someone who came to romance in my late 20s, early 30s, you know, in the last decade or so, decade plus or so, if we're being honest, depending on how I count my age. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think she has not necessarily been a name that has been heavily marketed, right, Mm -hmm. in the last decade in the way that, you know, somebody like Alicia Rye, Emily Henry, um, Helen Wong, and I'm not saying all those people are equivalent, right, but I think you didn't see the kind of press push for Julie Garwood. And so I think if you have come to romance in the last 10 or 15 years... You easily could have missed her work. Mm -hmm. But I think the outpourings that I saw were largely women who are maybe a little older than me, not much older, but who had been romance readers really for their entire lives, as you mentioned, and who came across Julie Garwood's work in, you know, their teens, maybe their 20s. We'll link to a really lovely tribute that Sarah Wendell, friend of the show um, and friend of ours, did on Smart Bitches Trashy Books. Because I think that gives you a pretty good place to start if you are interested in, you know, Garwood's work and understanding kind of the impact that she's had on romance broadly. I'm not trying to put you on the spot, Jess. Have you you read anything by Julie Garwood?
1: I am pretty sure that I've read The Bride, which is probably her most famous historical
0: That's the one I could name. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And I actually started reading Prince Charming a few days ago. And because I was like, you know what? I I need to be reminded uh what what her yeah. writing style was like and all of that. And this one it, it has actually that whole thing with not completely being certain whose point of view you're reading from. Um, but that's I feel like yeah. that's, just, that's just something of the time of writing. And this one's really interesting because it's about an English woman who ends up basically marriage of conveniencing a man who's like a... Western settler, basically. Um, so it's kind of like, if you've seen 1923, which is the second Yellowstone prequel
0: uh, series. Wow, this is more Yellowstone shout outs than we have ever done right? in all of our other episodes combined. <laughs> right? So Sorry. <laughs> Continue.
1: Yes. So like, Harris Ford is Kevin Coster's like, great, great grandfather, and Helen Mirren is an Irish woman who's married him and they've moved off into Wyoming. Um so like that that's where well my was. brain went when I read the description was like I wonder what this this is actually going to be like. So I haven't gotten very far mm-hmm. into that one either, but it's it's definitely pulled me in.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting I recently read a book that I, I've i read Jennifer Crusey before, mm-hmm. but I recently reread a book, or actually probably I think read it for the first time. I'd read Bet Me. I'd read a few of hers. I had never read Welcome to Temptation, uh. which was first published in 2000. And just kind of coincidentally, it just happened upon kind of my radar a few weeks ago. And I read it and really liked it, but was also thinking about how different kind of the tone is and someone recently, I think it might have actually been you on our Slack channel, pointed out that we have not heard a lot. Like, for someone who was kind of the preeminent mm-hmm. romance writer, you know, for a period of time, probably maybe a decade, at least five years, we haven't really heard much about Jennifer Kruse lately. Mm-hmm. And I, first of all, I really liked this book. I would recommend picking it up. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that struck me about this book... That struck me about rules of engagement and that struck me. I remember thinking this about Vivid, which we did a few years ago for a and romance book club. You were um, unfortunately not able to be on. And so Jen Northington was on instead. One of the things that struck me a little bit was how different male main characters, at least in male, female, cisgendered sort of two-person couples are at this point, is that the men are... The men from like 20 years ago are like a little bit more obnoxious, Uh (laughs) right? Like they're kind of jerks a little bit. Like I remember, again, thinking that when we read Vivid, I remember thinking that I think it's Nate was the main character in that book. And I remember Mm -hmm. thinking a little bit like, you know, he was just like very rough around the edges. And it was the kind of thing where... I think that would be a really big turnoff mm-hmm. to readers right now. Or when I was reading Welcome to Temptation, one of the first things that we read about the mayor who is the male main character in this book, Finn, is that he's, like, checking out the legs of the woman who is, like, the 19- or 20-year-old who's, like, taking notes at the city council meeting. <laughs> and you're like, ugh, gross. Come on, dude. You're, <laughs> like, 35. Like, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. And it's still, like, it all works out. But it's it's almost like... I felt at least about that book, like, it was a little less romantic in a way. Like, for a romantic comedy, like a a romance novel, Mm -hmm. it almost felt a little bit less... It almost felt like a little more real. Like, these two people fight a lot. They are very clear about, you know, what their expectations are. Mm -hmm. It's sex, to begin with. Yeah. And then it grows into something else, but there's no, like... I don't know, there's like no gauzy filter sort of Mm. in a way that I think maybe we've gotten used to in this era of romance. Because even when you're dealing with a romantic comedy, even when you're dealing with one that is a little more grounded in reality or snark or whatever else, there still is kind of like that moment when like either main character or both main characters has the realization of like, oh my gosh, this is what I've been after for my entire life or whatever. And like a lot of times in... It seems to me in these books that are a little bit older, and granted, Rules of Engagement definitely had that going, right? There was a lot of Mm -hmm. love. I think at one point, Adam says that he's fallen in love with Raleigh three times and he can't do it again or whatever. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. But it just, I don't know. I'd be interested kind of in what you think, Jess, because that was one of the things that I noticed is that 20 years ago, we let men be like kind of assholes more than I think that we, we do now.
1: Yeah and uh, you, know, you know thinking about this is definitely something that you see in Beverly Jenkins's older books like I'm listening to Captured on and off right now, which is the like mm-hmm. Levesque prequel. And yes, it's very mm-hmm. cool that the male main character is a... Let's call him a privateer. But he... Uh, yes. He gets this behind handed to him by the female main character because he is... He needs it. Like, it's great. Mm-hmm. And yeah. to, to posit an interesting perspective... I read Say Jesus and Come to Me by Anne Allen Shockley, which is one of the earliest lesbian romances that I am aware of. I think it was written in the Mm mid-70s. And the main, main character who probably would be given sort of that role is also... Awful. Like she is the she is the one. She like travels to churches and like as a speaker, and uh, you know draws people in with her charisma, and then finds some sweet young thing to sleep with, and then moves on to the next place, and it's just like. <laughs> it's like that same kind of there there's always one character in in older books who just like needs to travel much farther emotionally to make it to the hea and you know maybe there is something about that time period where it's like oh gosh wouldn't it be great if i could just save this man and uh, now we've sort of moved away from that, like no man needs to be saved. You are not, you are not Jesus or a mother. You are a potential partner.
0: Yeah. It's interesting when you were talking about, say Jesus and come to me. I, it made me think of Morning Glory by Laverle Spencer, which is a mm-hmm. book that I read for the first time, maybe like 10 years ago. And then reread three or four years ago. And There's a lot about that book that is kind of lovely and captured in time Mm -hmm. in a way that, like, you know, that dead fly or whatever it is from Jurassic Park is captured Mm -hmm. in amber. But then there are things, too, where I feel like, and this is a thing, again, that I came to romance a little bit later and so I don't know, but my sense is that consent was a little bit Mm -hmm. more dubious Mm -hmm. in some of the romances of the 80s and possibly 90s and maybe beyond and i remember thinking that about this book that there's sort of a scene where it's like i'm not sure both people are excited about this and it feels a little weird like there are certainly things like that that would not get published in that way now Mm -hmm. like this is a book that means a lot to a lot of people and I think that's fine. Like you're allowed to feel strongly about what you feel strongly about and also recognize like more than one thing can be true, mm-hmm. right? You can realize what a book has meant to you and what it meant to you when you re- originally read it. That's a thing that a lot of us are dealing with as we find out which authors turn out to be trash. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, just, you know, as a, an example. Yeah. Um, yeah, but like what you can still consider what something means to you and what it might have been while also acknowledging that there might be some things that just don't really hold up as well.
1: I mean, that definitely is true for me revisiting, not like rereading, but sort of coming back to even just the concepts of all of the first romances that I read, because as I have mentioned on the podcast before, I started reading Jude Devereaux and Johanna Lindsay very young Mm -hmm. and someone not recently, but probably sometime in the last 10 years was talking about how the marriage bed scene in the first Velvet book, which I can't remember the name of because I read them very much out of order is very much non-consensual in today's standards. So, Mm -hmm. you know, just thinking about some of the things that have happened in, in the books that I read at a very formative age and making sure that I understand now what was going on in those books just to have the perspective. And I was reading about one. At some point at our last book club, we were talking about ship marriages. And I mentioned that Drew Devereaux had had written one where the female main character had been married to the male main character by proxy on a boat. Like, yes, I remember that. and, And so I finally figured out which one it was. It was Counterfeit Lady. And there are all kinds of things going on with that particular series because they are set at the end of the 18th century in Virginia, and the people are wealthy. Guess what? They are enslavers. You got. They must be right. Mm-hmm. They might have some indentured mm-hmm. servants, but they probably also have slaves. And uh, you know that's something that I probably wasn't thinking about in 1997 when I was reading that book. Um, but it's just yeah something something to remind myself of, so that I can say. I love this book 25 years ago. I would not recommend it for you now.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think, that, I mean, to kind of bring it back to our book club discussion, I think it says something about rules of engagement that that isn't really an issue, right? Like yeah. that In terms of how the two people treat each other, there is kind of like one line Adam has about like, Don't Tempt Me to Kill You or, I don't know, something. It happens, like, fairly late in the book. But it's, like, uh, spoken in a moment of passion. It's not compared to some of the dubious consent issues from roughly the same time. Mm -hmm. Not the same. So I think it says something about the way that that book holds up that other books that were written in, like, roughly the same era, maybe a little bit before, had a lot more questionable content. Mm -hmm. So... I, I don't know. I would be interested in it whether anyone has read the two thousand and one version of Rules of engagement i I can't I can't speak to how it might be different or not mm-hmm. but I would be interested in that. So like I said, my understanding is that it wasn't changed significantly, but if it was, it would be interesting to know mm-hmm. All right. any parting thoughts on uh, older romances, Jess?
1: I think, and this is a weird thing, so please correct me or send, send a counter-argument. I think that the people who were reading romance when Rules of Engagement came out and the decade, like the two decades before that, were more forgiving of certain people's attitudes and actions than mm-hmm. we might be as readers right now. And this comes in part from thinking about like Flowers from the Storm. We are introduced mm-hmm. to the male main character of Flowers from the Storm in such an awful point in his life. But as a very contemporary reader, because I I just read this book in the past year, I am expecting a humongous change to happen for me to accept the happily ever after at the end. So I Mm -hmm. think that we, we have raised our expectations for the starting person and maybe there isn't that much emotional change, but there are other things that have to happen for us to be satisfied with the happy ending, but going from just like not quite terrible But being sort of a not great person, unless it's a dark romance and they're not going to travel that course, they're just going to stay being like evil, but getting their HEA in whatever way that looks like for them. And of course, there are are waves to this and there are levels and layers to this. But I feel like the perspective at the time that these were being written gave a little more leeway to these a whole main characters
0: I think that's true and I think we also and I think this is particularly true of you and me and of course everyone listening to this podcast because everyone is the best <laughs> I think we are particularly sensitive to some of those things I think there probably are readers out there who are not bothered mm-hmm. but the fact that there are so many people and that so much of Traditional publishing, for whatever flaws it has, has shifted away from that, has shifted in a different direction, is mm-hmm. really saying something. Yeah. So that's exciting. Yeah. Well, I think we have done the damage, as we sometimes say, that we can do today. <laughs> Please do let us know what you think of rules of engagement. Let us know what you think of older romances, which you would recommend, which you would not, and what the difference is between what you are seeing and reading now versus then. I would also say if folks have recommendations for our... Summer slash fall yeah. <laughs> uh, book club book, our Q3 book club book. Please let us know. We're always interested in hearing. I don't know. What else we have, Jess? That's it. Send
1: us all of your thoughts. Tell us what you're reading. Tell us what you'd like to hear us talk about as far as recommendation topics or anything else like that.
0: And a huge thanks, as always, for our wonderful audio editor, Jen Zink, who is... At least partially magic, if not fully magic. Mm. You can send us all those thoughts and feelings at at whenandromanceatbookriot.com. You can find me at Trisha Haley Brown on Instagram. And Jess... I will let you roll off your many credits. <laughs> you can find me at Jess is reading all one
1: word on Twitter and Blue Sky, which yes, there is yet another one. You can find me on Instagram at Jess underscore is underscore reading,
0: and on TikTok at Jess underscore is reading. I think my 2024 resolution is going to be to learn all of those so that I can rattle them off for you. <laughs> we'll see. I still have six months. We'll see, Jess. I, I believe in you. Thank you. And thanks uh, to all of you for listening. And in the meantime, happy
1: reading.